0: And we are live from the Nasdaq Market Side, overlooking New York's Times Square. And this is Fast Money. Your traders on the desk tonight are Tim Seymour, Karen Feynman Steve Grasso, and our own Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the impact of the deadly coronavirus on healthcare stocks, airlines, and casinos—they are all on the move. And we've got a very special guest for you, Dr. Oz. Come the on, house. yeah. We'll talk about what's being done to prevent a full-blown pandemic. President Trump taking another swing at the Fed. What he told CNBC about the markets today that you can't afford to miss. And later, it is your call of the day. One analyst ringing the bell on a stock that Wall Street pretty much loves to hate. We're going to bring you that name. There's your mystery chart. Start sending oh, your guesses down. It's a lot of mysteries. All right. Know. All that and more, head. But we begin with what else? A race to new <laughs> records. And Tesla, it just cannot be stopped. With the big move today, Tesla now has a market cap of more than $100 billion. It makes Tesla the second most valuable car maker in the world, only second to Toyota. Stock is now up 40% this year. It's 14 days into the year. Hmm. 40% in 14 days, Gaiadami, trading volume today nearly 30 million. That's 50% higher than the 10-day average. Is this, some, is this real investor interest, Gaiadami, or just one of the greatest examples of short covering? That we have
1: ever seen. And you know, typically those questions, it's a, it's some combination thereof. But I think in terms of picking a side, I think shorts have finally capitulated. Look, I don't want to continue to come on here and say how wrong I've been. I've been wrong. And to try to pick a top because that's been uh, futile at best. But you're talking about a stock that was also 175 or so. Back in June, July, the move has been incredible it 's clear that there are things that are going on with Tesla that are beyond my comprehension. I understand that, but to your point about volume. Big volume spikes like that, after a move of this magnitude historically have pointed to at least in the short term some type type of short term but topic. you have analysts that are tripping over themselves to raise targets now because
0: yep. that 's how you get the most calls I understand but that 's about it today you 've got to be the high number on the street because then you get the most attention from us well, well, it 's not about being the, the high number on, on
2: the street complete though. garbage i think you 're right steve and it 's it's, it's hard to believe, but it 's not on.
3: about being being getting the most calls on the street it 's about been, they look so poor on these. So now they have to trip over themselves to raise price targets. So then people rush in to buy the stock because they're raising a price target. And it seems like a greater fool theory at this point.
0: Tim, you sat down and you said, what else can we say on Tesla? And to be honest with you, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't have any idea. I'm going to be perfectly blunt. I have no questions on Tesla. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask. There's been no news. Nothing fundamental has changed. I think... This stock, just from looking at 20 years of history, this stock is purely being run by the charts and the momentum Mm -hmm. at this point. Because nothing fundamental has has
2: changed well so uh, look a i a hundred a hundred dollars ago i it got to a point where i said this you know i don't think it makes sense now i'm certainly not going to change my view but it's certainly not you know something i've been short for you know the last hundred dollars i do have puts out there i do i I can't reverse field in terms of my view on the company um i do think if you look at it steve's done a nice job with the short interest because i would have told you uh you know fifty dollars ago um despite the fact that short interest is where it is that that this thing was well beyond its skis There's been nothing fundamental. I I don't care. Uh, President Trump, aside this morning, I'm glad the White House is is very fired up for the innovation going on at Tesla. And I think on some level we all are. Uh, But to me... January 28th, when we get a look at that balance sheet, when we actually get a restatement in terms of where we are in 360 to 400 deliveries. But more importantly, I really want to see where the profitability of the company is. I I think those China announcements that we got two weeks ago um, that started this year were also without any detail, which is often what we get here. So, um, look, wrong, wrong. But I can tell you that fundamentally nothing has changed for me until I see that balance sheet and the profitability change. But
0: but but I'll follow up with you one more, uh, Tim, before I go to Karen. Does it 360, 380, 400, 410 on the deliveries, does that even matter at this point when you're talking about a stock that has added, what, 35 billion or whatever in market value in 14 trading days? It's added a Ford in market value In two weeks of trading,
2: so so look uh, again. This is extraordinary, even by you know Tesla's own uh, performance historically. This is this is something that um, I think starts to get into. Yeah, look, there's some there's some big shorts that have probably capitulated. There's some folks uh, that I think uh, have have added to it. I think the fact that the street has fallen all over themselves of we've just whatever we're calling this. um, It's it's no one has articulated a fundamental basis for moving their target higher. No one.
4: Uh, the one thing that has changed, I think, is the balance sheet in that with the stock so far above the conversion price for these convertible bonds, likely yes. they're going to be converting into equity, not to debt. So it's, in effect, an equity offering if, in fact, that happens. So that's one yeah. real thing Danger. on the balance sheet that is significant. But in terms of valuation... I mean, I don't know. The li- I, 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 it, you know, it's uh, you, you got to be really, really optimistic on some future big evolution of the company. I guess I guess right? what I'm that saying. I guess it. what I'm
0: saying is the, the piece, the only piece of sort of information we've gotten is the Shanghai rollout, which people knew was coming. And Elon Musk's unfortunate dancing. I mean, other than that, there, but I think Karen a brings vacuum the, of the, information. The,
3: the major story was the balance sheet. So once you start to think about this company as not existing and now all of a sudden it's existed and people are betting so much against it that you create this coiled spring. But the street consensus estimates on revenues and on EPS have been falling. So what what does that mean? They could they could step over those. So when you say what does it matter so they could actually beat when they report and that will create another pop to the upside but around 600.
0: Or or is is this the beat already priced in? Well the overshoot levels for me, this, this
3: release better be perfect. The, well, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be
2: better than consensus estimates. And that's all that the street that's, worries about. So that's fair. I mean, in other words, if the bar is getting lowered, ironically, yes. as they're raising a target price, which I, I again, is, is it the data function? Is it the, the head start that they have in terms of the miles traveled? Um, I, I, I don't know. But we have a case here where, um, okay, even the improvement on the balance sheet, but but Some of the big issues for the sustainability of a change in the balance sheet have to come from, can they build these cars profitably? Can they build them for $35,000? Is there real demand at a time when we know that every other major player who could have an EV offering, maybe it's not a Tesla, Uh, again, let's not, I'm not leaning on Tesla's Innovation. I'm leaning on the competitive landscape, the inability to ever produce. Uh, the big challenge for these guys has been to go scaling. Uh, I don't think that they're making this car profitably. And if, and if the balance sheet improves in the short run, everything they're talking about requires massive capex, yep. massive opportunity for free cash flow uh, burn that we haven't seen them build overcome.
0: Yeah, and, and we're sitting in an environment, I think this is an important story, we're here in the NASDAQ, I mean, the reason I bring that up is, you know, unfortunately, I've been here for 20 years, broadcasting off Why, off. unfortunately? It's, you it's, no, I mean, guy I'm guy. aging myself. Huh. And, you know, but this was pre-Twitter, obviously, but you're, you're getting the same kind of reaction. People will not, they refuse to hear the other side of the Tesla story. If you come out and you say anything critical to the company, people want to attack you, whatever, it's sort of that groupthink, it's on the name And it appears to be going into the trading volume at all. And let's differentiate the product. The product is spectacular. The Model S is one of the most beautiful cars on the road. Their mileage is 100 miles better than their nearest competitor, Mm -hmm. effectively. The cars are gorgeous. They're selling like hotcakes. But we're talking about a $100 billion
1: valuation. Yeah. There's a lot of things to unravel there. I'll say this, having done this now, not nearly as long as you, but, you know, the show's 13 (laughs) years old. One of the things you learn is everybody, people say they want to hear the truth. It's not really accurate. People want to hear what reinforces their belief system. And when I say price is truth, I know I get a lot of pushback, but you know what? The price of the stock is the ultimate judge and jury. So we can come here and tell you all kinds of bare reasons, but when the stock goes from $170 in June to $600 or so today, that's all people are going to be focused on. Okay. Well, as
0: Tesla races higher, Boeing's woes continue. The CEO hoping to calm investor concern today, David Calhoun, telling reporters he has no plans to scrap production of the 737 Max. Layoffs will not happen. And he added that Boeing has no plans to suspend or cut its dividend either. But investors appear to be giving up on the stock. It's wiped out all of last year's gains now. And getting close to breaking below 2018 lows. Karen, what do we do?
4: I don't know. I mean, you have to make some bet on when do you think the 737 MAX will actually be flying, and then how quickly do they ramp up, and how damaged is the brand, right? And how, how much do they have to discount the planes going forward? I don't know. I don't know the answers to any of that, and I think that Boeing doesn't know the answers to any of that yet. I mean, we keep seeing the dates pushed out, the latest, what we heard from United, was June or so. So I don't know. Still, the valuation's kind of rich. I mean...
0: It is still rich.
3: It's amazing that we I feel like there's more cracks in the Boeing story in just a handful of weeks in 2000 in 2020 versus what we saw last year. I remember we would sit around the desk and I would look at it and say, I can't believe the stock is still up 10 percent. So for for me, I feel like I feel like I think the reason for
2: that is is. There was a timeline when you were going to get back to max 737 production. Uh, and also, you weren't going to get to lack of production. You weren't going to disassemble, uh, essentially, a production process. So um, for the for the Bulls, um, what I've heard over the last two weeks, though, is not necessarily anything specific in terms of... Uh, a timeline. What I've heard them say is we don't know. I've also heard the company go out of their way, and they said today this allows them to put enough time in with our regulator at every level. This is a company that was lambasted for being arrogant about how they were approaching this with the regulator. They've done a complete 180. They should have. Delays Um, have extended. So far, I don't know that Look, we know that they're not getting out of the ground in January. So right. analysts rightly, investors have done what they're going to do. Um, but even when United says we're not buying till the summer, United has a bit of a PR nightmare on their hands as well. What are they going to say? They can't say, well, we're expecting them in the second quarter when, in fact, they have no idea. So, so just they think have about it. So you have
3: ext- they're extending delays and customer compensation is going up. So you have those two things coming at you. And when you look at the stock level, we traded down to 302 today. So if you look at technicals, 294 is support, and that goes back to January uh, of, of two years ago, basically, when you look on the charts. I think you have more pain to come. I think you need a real big flush. So I think there still are lower prices to come and
1: bar. Brian, quickly, you brought this up, I think, when you were on the first, but are people going to be willing no. to get on these planes? It's interesting, right? And if you go to these Travelocity sites, if they have one more drop-down where yeah. it says, this they is have- the plane, that, that's problematic. Well, I think that's
0: the next level of the story. And, you know, again, don't want to be a broken record on it. You just wonder what happens when and if the plane goes back into service. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you got a 7.45 a.m. from Newark to Houston. That's a max. There's a 9 a.m. that's, a, you know, an A320. People start flooding the 9 a.m. United's not going to take off if the plane—and I'm not picking on United— 80 percent empty at 7.45. They're going to mm-hmm. go back to Boeing and say, our customers— won't get on your product what are you going to do to us and i'm talking about a from a financial impact perspective you have to consider that hundred percent
4: and they have to change the name right i, yeah, I well, mean it's air just little...
0: said yeah. that i mean it could be
4: like president, president trump, trump as no
3: i, think, I think it's true what? how, how they, they can't do that though you have to tell the public that that'll be a whole nother pr nightmare if they just change the name and people are jumping on they the match something other
4: it. and say new improved it's mm. now the whatever okay mm.
0: Well, we are just getting started here on Fast Money up next. Texas Instruments shares on the move in the after hours. We'll find out if that stock is worth your hard-earned cash. And later, fears growing as the deadly coronavirus spreads, Dr. Oz is here. Mm. What is being done to prevent a full-blown outbreak? Stick with us. We are live, as always, from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Dad, welcome back to Fast Money. We have got an earnings alert for you on TXN. Texas Instruments, a stock moving down a little bit. They reported their results after the bell. Let's get to Josh Lipton with more on that quarter. Josh
5: So, Brian, why the sort of lack of enthusiasm here in the after hours? I caught up with RBC's Mitch Steves uh, before the call started. He said, listen, they basically hit their expectations across the board. In his opinion, though, no real change to the underlying story. Guided effectively in line, he says, with EPS and revenue. Texas Instruments is a bellwether, though, he says. So the good news here is that semi-companies do seem done with cutting numbers on the call, the company's executives uh, did note that the market, as they see it, moved from increasingly cautious customers to results and behavior reflecting, they said, demand stabilizing by end markets, industrial and automotive. Remember, that's their two biggest. They've established momentum, they said, and see great opportunity ahead. These will be fast-growing semiconductor markets. Of course, it's print coming as the SMH hit that new intraday all-time high today, coming off 2019, which, of course, was its best year since 2003. Guys, back to you.
0: All right, Josh, thank you very much. So why don't we go ahead and trade TI up 38% in a year. This Skyadami Adami, is a stock that does not get a lot of love. We don't talk about it much.
1: It doesn't get a lot of love, except that the stock is making all-time highs, trading at 27 times next year's numbers. The good news about this quarter, operating margins were better. But just quickly, I mean, Analog is their business. That's their big revenue business. Analog revenues uh, profit a billion.05, billion oh which sounds great, except that's down almost 15% year over year. And embedded processing, which is basically one eighth the size of their bigger business, is down 31.5% year over year. So look, yes, if you look at it, they beat on EPS, but you have basically no EPS growth with a company trading at 27 times next year's numbers, and the market's betting that, you know, this whole tech revolution is going to continue. Maybe it will, but it's going to do at valuations that don't make a lot and, of and sense. And
3: last quarter, they wasn't so shiny either. On revenue and EPS, they, they, they came in light 11% and 9% respectively. So they have a broader array of a product line. AMD is more centralized to CPU and GPU.
2: I'd still be with an AMD or an NVIDIA. I'd rather that over a Texan still. Well, if you look at Texan, it, it has outperformed the, the, the broader chip market since you know, Thanksgiving. Wherever you want to look at where we've really taken this almost move straight higher. I mean, it's had a nice rally into these numbers. It beat somewhere on the you know, slightly higher of the midpoint on the range on both the top and the bottom line. Um, you guys all just laid out kind of the core business and the fundamentals here. I think people need to see um, the analog industrial space begin to really show some growth before they get excited about this name.
4: Well, I think, there. I mean, we're hearing a lot of sentiment about growth coming back, right, and, and confidence coming back. I think, you know, it's just the stock was up $17 in the last two months, maybe. So the bar was pretty high. I think it was a decent quarter, but the bar was pretty high going into it.
0: Yep. All right. Good discussion there on TXN. Up next, a big-time guest on a big-time day. You're going to hear from that man, Doctor Oz, in the house. Come on, we'll get his expert take on the coronavirus. Five for me. Me crazy. Come on. Is, the Is there a doctor in the house? going to a quick break. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We are continuing to follow new developments of the spread of the mysterious coronavirus. World Health Organization officials holding an emergency meeting today in Switzerland. The virus has now killed at least 17 people in China. It has sickened hundreds of others. Let's get right on to make. Terrell's been following the story all day long, joins us back at CMBTHQ with. What we know at this hour. Meg.
6: Hey, Brian. Well, we were closely watching the World Health Organization today to see if it would declare this novel coronavirus a public health emergency of international concern. Joining it with just five other outbreaks so designated since 2005, including Ebola and Zika. Speaking to the fast evolving nature of the situation, the WHO said it needed more information and more time to decide and will convene a meeting of its emergency committee again tomorrow. What the committee did say there is evidence of human to human transmission of this virus so far observed among close contacts like family members and healthcare providers. There's no evidence to date of ongoing transmission after that. And while the virus is in the same family as SARS and MERS, known as coronaviruses, it's not yet known if this virus spreads in a similar way to either of those. Just how easily this virus spreads among people and how severe it is are things public health researchers are still learning. Meanwhile, the city of Wuhan, where the outbreak of pneumonia-like disease has been going on since last month, announced today new measures to shut down travel out of the city. Temporarily close airports and train stations and suspending the city bus, subway and other modes of transportation. No small moves for a city of 11 million people. And some public health researchers like Rebecca Katz at Georgetown have raised concerns that those actions could push people to avoid authorities and possibly spark panic. The WHO though commended the cooperation and openness at least from China in its information sharing. And of course we'll be watching for more news from that agency tomorrow. Brian.
0: All right, Meg Terrell, thank you very much. Let's talk more now about the growing threat of the coronavirus. Joining us now is Dr. Mehmet Oz, obviously host of the Dr. Oz Show, among other things. And, uh, Doctor, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Brian. got a lot to get to. Let's start with this. What do we know and how worried, if
7: at all, do our viewers have to be? Well, they need to be worried. Uh, But I don't think the WHO was making a mistake when they decide to stall for a little bit. Here's the deal. Meg said the right thing. We don't know how fast it, it's actually transmitted from person to person. Actually, my show later this week, I have Ming Tsai, the, the great Chinese chef, actually in a food mart showing how this virus probably got started. So there, the, there's two problems for me. First is, how did it actually come to humans? And could that happen again and again and again? And SARS, if you remember, 2002-03, cost China $50 billion. There are 800 deaths. But it's a lot of money to lose. You've got to make smart decisions to protect people's lives, but also not paralyze yourself. And China, I think, learned a lot from what happened in 2002. This time, they're actually wide open about what seems to be going on. Whereas in 2002, they were hiding it because by the time we discovered it, no one trusted what they were hearing anymore. So that was a smart move. But when we go into that food market, you'll see that when humans live in close proximity with wild animals, and this, we believe, started at a, at a fish market that had a lot of live animals and creatures in it. And so humans are in close juxtaposition. The virus can jump into a human. And some of these coronaviruses, SARS was also a coronavirus. It's called that because it looks like the crown, little, little crown pits coming off of a virus. Uh, it, once it gets in us, sometimes it gets weaponized, basically. It can pass from person to person to person. And how fast it gets passed is part of the equation. So how deadly is it and how often does it spread to the person? Well, well SARS was deadly, as
0: you just said. SARS was bad. MERS was even deadlier. MERS was even worse. Again, we, we look at the civet yeah. cat. We look at swine flu. A lot of this is animal born. What do we know about the treatment? Again, is it if you are already ill, if you're already in a weakened state, is this
7: survivable? It's definitely survivable. Even uh, MERS, which is the most aggressive, they're all coronaviruses, was uh, a survivable problem. And if, if you're if in the current The folks who have passed away from the virus this time around, they're also generally more frail. They have risk factors for illness. It's not taking out young, healthy bucks from the population. And so that's something to keep in mind before everyone starts panicking. But but for for what what Brian just said, right now it looks like a mortality
3: rate of 5%. So SARS had a mortality rate somewhere around 15%. MERS was 30%. What are the odds that are we so early? Can we put any stock in
7: the fact that it's a 5% mortality rate? Or can that jump? Much too early. The bigger issue now, because information travels so quickly and we have so much better technology, is can we actually slow the spread? Is it possible, for example, if you're looking at heat sensors, which are now being done at JFK and and a bunch of other airports around the country, will they really work? And part of the problem is it takes a couple days to actually express the illness once you get the virus. So I don't have high hopes to stop that. And what makes that early is also very important. You start to breed a panic. People start to think, I got to get out of here real quickly or else I'm going to get caught up with all the virus people. This is not leprosy. <clears throat> you know, generally speaking, you know, you'll probably be okay. That stated, nobody wants to come with an Ill, down with an illness that we don't have a cure for because we can't cure the common cold yet. And that, this is of that same family of viruses.
4: What's the incubation period for this?
7: We believe it's four to five days. So if, if I get off a plane in Seattle, like happened today or yesterday, and I have the virus, well, I mean, everyone on the plane. And when you sit on a plane, it's not the person next to you who gets sick. It's the person diagonally related to you because that's why the air is circulating the way it does. That's why I always tell my friends, if you're on an airplane, do two things. <clears throat> Take the air module and aim it at your chest so it clears away all the droplets of material that may fly towards you. And clean that, the armrests and the, and the table because the virus can live there for quite a long time. That's...
1: That's comforting. <laughs> comforting. You know, and I understand... You're welcome. You know, I understand there's, there's a reason to assuage concerns the president was on today, and I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me, but he said, it seems like we have it pretty well contained and it doesn't seem to be a big deal. It sounds, though, over the last six hours, it's become a big deal. So my question is... Do you think this will – consumer behavior is a huge thing. This economy is 73% driven by people buying things and flying to places. Is this in people's head? Will it get in their head at some point and say, maybe I'm not going to get on that plane to Seattle?
7: Without question, it gets in your head, and for good reason, because that's one of the ways these viruses get spread. That stated, I don't think this is the – virus that we should be petrified of. We're going to find out over the next couple of days. But the fact that it can pass from an a- a animal, a virus like this, can pass from an animal into a human and more humans are next to more animals, especially in places that are crowded like China, means we're going to have more and more and more of these faster and faster. And so we need to have a rapid response team. Identify quickly. That was done. Countries speaking openly. That was done. Now we got to find out solutions as early as quickly because we don't, as we can, because we don't have a solution to the common cold. And we ought to be able to build vaccines faster than we currently can. And right now, the best advice you get from anybody is wash your hands and don't cough at people. That's the same advice we would have given 100 years ago. <throat> that, you know, that's a cheap vaccine. Thanks. That was nice. Yes. Uh, wow. Well, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but,
7: but so with <laughs> yes, as you probably
2: should. So to extend on Guy's question, and we don't want to put an economist hat on you, but I bet you could probably do a good job. Um, you, you know, did, I went to business school, believe it or not. I, I, I do. I, I, you, I, do. Have no, not you have all the tech tech degrees. He's got all the degrees. He's a doctor. He's got all the tickets. And, and and the question is, you articulated China, who spent $50 billion on this, um, is your With technology, with the communication that we've had, um, people have overreacted on an economic impact perspective uh, on this before. We've seen it with all the other diseases we talked about. Am I putting words in your mouth to say that you think that actually um,
7: this is not going to be the big one? I don't think it's going to be the big one. We don't know for sure. So I don't want to give people false hope, but I believe we'll get ahead of it. The economic impact may still be there because emotionally you're still thinking, well, am I going to make that extra trip? Am I going to bother making a deal happen where right now I just sit back for a couple months and then time passes? The windows are are altered, and and I do believe we'll have more of these. The good news is, as we get better, and I know the science around this better and better at finding these viruses quickly, identifying why they happen, and then getting ahead of them, the economic impact should shrink, not grow.
0: Let's change topics: the economic impact and the trading impact. This is fast money, yes, beyond meat, Mm. beyond belief to some. Obviously, this forget about the stock fundamentals. Are you a believer? In the plant-based meat movement, is it healthy?
7: Mm. So two different questions think <laughs> like I'm being posed here. So, <laughs> got, so the, the first is, do I believe in these new generation uh, vegetarian meats? And I strongly do. And it's you know it's it's not impo- just impossible meats. It's Beyond Burger. they has got a bunch of other ones. You know the old the old-fashioned black bean burgers. Yep. included, but there are chicken alternatives now, there's bacon alternatives, uh, and all of them have a health argument. But at the very core, let's go back some, over some basic numbers. The, the business is probably an $85 billion business, right, by 2030. That's the rough number that most people are agreeing is real. So if that's the case, and we've got six-fold increase in vegans, and that's not even the market for these guys. The real market is two-thirds of millennials, and its generational uh, beliefs are, are, are now com- converging, really want to lean green. They don't want to be vegan, but they want to lean green. They'll eat a, something with a face once in a while, a little meat, a little steak, right? Mm-hmm. right? But they generally don't want to eat things If you put it like that, I might stop. That's right. But <laughs> do
3: they think it's healthier, though? Hello, this is loaded, they this is loaded with saturated <laughs> right. fat, more preservatives, more sodium. Lord, I love you. It's
7: perfect. Exactly I mean, it's right. crazy. All that stated, everything you said is correct, and there's no fiber uh, in meat, so it does have that one benefit. Right. I, uh, but across the board, if I compare the, these new alternative chickens to old-fashioned chicken, there's no real difference. Right, They basically match up because how you cook the chicken is what makes it good or bad for you. But at a broad level, it's much better for the environment, which is going to carry the day ultimately. And if you look at people around the planet who lean green, eat primarily vegetarian foods, uh, there's 20% reduction in heart disease, 20% reduction in diabetes. My friends, if you have diabetes in America right now, you need to cut out meat. And that data is out there. We should just be sort of taking advantage of that insight. Chronic illnesses dropped back our big program this year, the most... The most successful New Year's program we've ever made is called System 20. It was all about leaning green. So greens and beans and the protein comes from a bunch of sources. You can eat meat, just not every day, three times a day. And then you have to intermittent fast. You got to skip breakfast, which is the one thing I'm asking people to do because
0: wait, I thought oh, that's breakfast the was the most yes. important meal of the day. That- Twenty years ago, we had to eat a bowl of cocoa. No Post. Lucky Charms.
7: <laughs> that was an advertising pitch, and it's a hundred years what? old. Yes, that- you are trying that- to sell us products. Wow. That was dogma that was left over and never really had a found medical uh, foundation. You, now, you um- eat when you're hungry. You eat when you're hungry. Now kids don't have a choice because they can't eat when they're hungry at ten o'clock in the morning. So they have to eat breakfast, and that's the one place I'll get- make an exception. But for for the mere mortals around this table, you should not get up and eat breakfast because you're probably not hungry when you get up. Listen, our ancestors woke up, Which, there was by no the food. Way, so we're a
0: trading show. What's interesting about this is you, we'll drive home or we'll watch TV tonight, right? You're going to see an ad. The fast food industry, and I'm not knocking them, they're trying to create a fourth meal. Forget about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They've introduced the snack at like 3.30. You're supposed to get some sort of a wrapped type meat product.
7: Actually, I'm okay with that. Here's what I would do if I were you. Seriously, and I, I didn't learn this it's your favorite from favorite fast
0: food restaurant. If you oh, had to go, I'm not going to go, I'm not
7: gonna go there. But Come on, <laughs> no, you're going to hold me out. But if uh, I learned this actually from actors, you know those? They look like you know uh, gazelles around those award shows. They don't just back into those bodies. They actually many of them intermittent fast, which means you eat your food from eleven in the morning until seven at night. A couple reasons. One, if you finish your meal at seven. Then by the time you go to bed at you know, 11 o'clock, uh, you're not that hungry. But by the morning, you're fasting. You haven't eaten in 12 hours, which means your body now shifts the metabolic switch. It flips it. And no longer do you feel hunger. So going a few more hours is actually easy. It improves your endurance. Because go back. What happened a 1,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago? We woke up. There was no food. In front of us, because no one made the, 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 the dinner at the breakfast table when you're sleeping in the cave, mm-hmm. you go out and you stalk your prey, your endurance improves, your mental focus is better, you happen to lose weight, like eating the same number of calories over eight hours versus the American average of 16 hours, still you, you won't gain as much weight. So it's not just calories in. To your point about extra meals, I'd rather you have a big lunch, a big snack at three and a, and a reasonable sized dinner at seven and skip breakfast. Compress the meals
1: we gotta have him on like once a week more information here than we've ever well, so you did an iron man you dropped a lot you looked great i lost you 48 looked, pounds and he
0: gained 68 that. back <laughs> he looks great i want to quickly turn it to, to media now and i know it sounds a little bit odd we had netflix out last night listen dr oz i mean you you're, the, you're sort of one of the kings of all media now you've done it right you've figured it out what is the future of digital media small question you got 30 seconds go
7: right <laughs> as it could possibly be i learned the business from oprah winfrey who was my partner on the show and i learned that on her show oprah university probably her, the ultimate master and, re- of and her goal was pretty straightforward but pretty simple you focus on the vision the viewer always never ever compromise that that's what you try to do on the show and when you do that over and over again whatever medium you do it in they'll follow you so although I'm obviously a television show and we're in 11th season and I'm proud of our success, the, the ultimate transition into digital media continues to occur. So I've got to meet people where they are, as you do. So digital media will continue to grow. We'll get smarter in customizing it. There's a company called Sharecare that Oprah and I started that has all your health information in one place. The future for me is artificial intelligence avatars in your pocket with tools like, like Sharecare, giving you coaching about what you're doing this very second. And when it's not working, turn you on to the healthcare system. If we connect the healthcare system to people when we need then they can be connected, we'll save money. And I've been having all the Democratic candidates on my show. Tom Steyer, that show I just taped now, will air tomorrow. But same basic story. The American College of Physicians is recommending universal coverage, government paid coverage, right? The biggest, one of the biggest doctor groups. I think the solution is getting people to have a doctor they trust. And if you don't get a doctor you trust for cheap and it's hard to do, it's actually in here. This can give you the coaching you need and answer those quick little questions. Mm-hmm. curbside consults that will take you in the direction you want to be, and that will make everything easier. Save us a ton of money. Deal with some of the obesity yeah. crises we have because we deal with obesity. There's no healthcare crisis anymore. If we don't deal with obesity, but no not, healthcare plan will talk, work.
0: You can't even talk about it. It becomes yeah. politicized immediately. Yeah.
7: Well, the idea of using technology to make any system you love less, more affordable and better quality, that can't be lost in the political discourse. That's a Democrat and Republican issue because it's an American opportunity and we should drive that change for the whole planet.
0: I'm going to go for a jog now. I mean, I, Dr. Oz, you got a future. Put him on a ticket. ticket. <laughs> I mean, yeah, t- let yeah, him do it's, something it's, else. It's, Check it. the
7: box. it has got
0: a future. Listen, Dr. Oz, it was a real pleasure to have you on Fast Money. A lot of topics there. Interesting stuff. Thank so you very much. Congrats
7: on all you guys do. You keep us entertained. All my buddies were texting me on the way over here. <gasps> you can get, get Brian's signature. Get a picture with him. <laughs> why <laughs> would you why they it? say that?
0: They you know <laughs> Brian Sullivan, right? I mean, I'm having <laughs> And by the way, That's we're crap. doing a picture in the commercial break. <laughs> Dr. Oz, thank you very much. All right, we got it. wow, we could die check that. We got a lot much more heading, a lot much more. That's some good flustered. television. I'm all flustered, I'm blushing. Here's what's coming up next. Much.
1: Coming up, the intel on Intel. What you can expect from the tech giant when it reports results. And later, dialed in. One top-ranked analyst says it's time to buy this telecom stock. We'll bring you that vein. And as always, you can watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Fast Money is back right after this.
0: All right, welcome back. CNBC has another big interview coming your way from Davos tomorrow. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin will join the gang at 8.15 a.m. Eastern time. 8.15 a.m. Eastern, big interview. Obviously, lots of topics, trade, the economy, and whatever else is on the Treasury Secretary's mind. Well, Mnuchin is just the latest in a monster lineup that we've had from the World Economic Forum in Davos. President Trump sitting down with CNBC earlier today, and he took new aim right at the Fed. Listen to what he told Joe Kernan.
5: Had we not done the big raise on interest, I think we would have been close to four. And I I could see 5,000 to 10,000 points more on the
7: Dow. But that was a killer when they raised the rate. It was just a big mistake. And they admit to it. They admit to it. I was right. I don't want to be right, but I was right.
0: All right, your next guest, Joe Ziddle, is chief investment strategist at Blackstone. He thinks that Trump might have a bit of a point. Joe, welcome back to Fast Money. What do you mean? What, What was he? Was he? He says he's right. Was he right?
8: You know, I think uh, the bigger point here is that we are in a liquidity-driven market. This is not a fundamentally driven market, right? It's not a market where you're seeing earnings gains and, you know, healthy underlying sort of like, you know, revenue and profit margins and things like that. We're in a market that's being completely driven by central banks all around the world. And 2019 was a year where you went from massive uh, you know, hikes to cuts. Right? You had more central banks cut rates in 2019 than any time since the great financial crisis. We went from balance sheet tightening to expansion of balance sheets again, and that liquidity has fueled the markets, has pushed them up higher
0: and higher. So in December of 2018, if I remember back in those days, the Fed raised rates. The market fell 18%. It did come back. It ended, I think, the month down, what, 8 or 9% on the Dow and the S&P. So if the Fed comes out and indicates at some point this year they would like to tighten mm-hmm. on monetary policy... Mm-hmm. Does the market fall another fifteen to twenty percent?
8: You know, I think what central bankers have done right now is bought themselves a lot of time, right? Because the headwinds that the economy was facing included things like you know trade. Obviously, across the you know pond, we had UK and Brexit and everything else. So I think policymakers bought themselves time. I had an old boss who once said, "Joe, if you have a problem that can be solved with money, then it's not a problem anymore." Mm. He was on his third wife when he said that, so take <laughs> the advice for what it's worth. But that's the policy that that, that that you know we've seen in the markets. That's what policymakers have done over the last couple of years. But but and I
2: agree with that and don't fight the Fed and all these yeah. cliches that have been the right ones. But if you think about it, we're, we're not going to get more Fed than we got in 2019. Yeah. So if you think about it, just the fact that the Delta um, in 2019, yeah. which was incredible, the fact staying still right now, I don't think does enough. And, and is the Fed going to keep this money market surplus in the market? I mean, you're talking about um, four hundred billion dollars that look, I, I recognize we had a big problem. And I don't think the
8: yeah. Fed was telling us how offsides they were a year ago. Mm-hmm. This has, to, this has to be painful. You know, I, there's an economist who rose to prominence in the 1970s named Herbert Stein. Uh, there's something called Stein's Law named after him, and I'll paraphrase it. it. It basically says that which cannot go on forever won't, right? I would love to come up with something that's patently obvious and have it named after me. I'm working on some things. I'm <laughs> watching The Simpsons to try to get some inspiration. <laughs> but if you think about that... Dr. Oz just came up with a few. Oh, <laughs> he, had, he had some great ones. How about Zydeloscope? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. I like right. that. Done. Done. We're over. You know, I was going to go into, I was was, going to sing for a living. I was going to do like, you know, hip hop, R&B or something, but that name was taken. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So I chose investment strategy. So, so
3: Joe, let me me ask you a question. So when you start to look at what can't go on, when it ends, it ends, I've been waiting for value to start outperforming tech. And it just seems as though everyone is rushing in. They're looking for growth. The only place to get growth are in a handful of names on the technology side or through the gamut of technology names. When... And does value
8: ever start to outperform, or does the whole market go down? Um, I don't think we're going to see an environment where the whole market goes down. I think we will see more volatility, more choppiness. Uh, in our you know, 10 surprises for 2020, one of the things that we talked about was having multiple 5% corrections because I think the market has to mark some time while earnings catch up to, the, to, to, to prices, right? Because we haven't seen any earnings growth. I don't know if it's going to happen in 2020. Uh, It might be something that comes later because I don't see such a a strong environment for corporate profits even now, but I think we'll have to mark some time. Um, If you put 2019 into context, think about it this way. Record high returns, like one of the top 12% for returns in any calendar year, and record low volatility. Volatility was at 1%, like the lowest 1% that we'd seen in any calendar year. Policymakers delivered that to us. I think the effect is rolling off. That drives volatility. There'll be opportunities there.
0: I mean, well, listen, we're glad you chose this and not R&B or whatever it might be. We're glad you're here. Good stuff. VIX, by Thank the way, 13 me. with the coronavirus and everything else that's going on. Joe Zeidel, Blackstone, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Thank you very much. I, I mean, why is the VIX? I mean,
4: well, first I mean, of all, it, let, me, let, I'll me back,
0: tell you, let me You back, want back to answer that, that question? Answer. Measure risk. Yeah. Does
1: the VIX measure risk anymore? Used to be called yeah. the risk yeah. age. I, well, I, I think it does, but I think to answer your original question was why is the VIX third? Because of, Tim just said it. Central banks around the world and this this passive investing that's become all the rage. It's taken all the volatility out of the world. And one thing quickly, Joe mentioned you know, the Fed and the President talking about if the Fed didn't do what they did, the market would be up. I have no idea where the market would be. You can't do the counterfactual thing. But I'll say this. The fact that we talk about the Fed and markets in the same sentence is problematic. The job of the Fed is not to make the markets go higher. It's about the economy. And the two couldn't be more mutually exclusive. You're right, except for the fact that there's
2: no question that the Fed got together with the administration in 2008 and said, we are targeting asset inflation. And this was a coordinated effort. And and frankly, and it happened before this, too. I mean, you go back to the the Greenspan era. Well, you go back to long-term capital, for sure. Um, But but another thing that I think Joe is is pointing out that he's cautious because volatility comes with less Fed. The other thing that's very different about 2019 is positioning. So today, again, we had another one of those measures of, of how you fork or how well positioned the market is. And it told you we are at levels on bull bear, which is an at least a measure I follow that says we're not back, and we are back into October of 2018 levels. Yeah. The market is well over its skis at some point, And that's different than where we were for most of 2019.
0: All right. Good morning there, Tim Seymour. Thank you. Coming up, the Intel on Intel. It's set to show off its quarter tomorrow. We're going to find out what the options market is pricing in. Plus, one Wall Street firm is making a big call on this stock. That word call is a big clue. Ooh. There's your mystery chart. Ooh, I think. Yeah, I we're going to talk about right. it. Send in your guesses ahead. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Apparently, intelligent investors uh-huh. Mike, what you did? held hey, fast really. on Intel. Not. After a bumpy ride over the past year, falling to as much as 45 bucks a share, Intel has rebounded, finally breaking out to a new year-long high today. But options traders are betting the red-hot rally is about to cool off with the company reports tomorrow. Let's find out why and what they're betting on with
9: Mike Coe out west and options action. Mike. Yeah, so in Intel, we saw a little over three times the average daily put volume in Intel. And the options market right now is implying a move of about 4.7%. That's actually less than the 6.5% that Intel has averaged over the last eight quarters. But one of the trades that I noticed today was a purchase of 5000 of the February 58-57 put spreads. They spent about $0.18 for those. The buyer of those put spreads is betting that it's going to go below the 58 strike price by at least the $0.18 that they paid. Plus commission, so we're betting on a bet a downside move of about seven and a half to eight percent between now and February expiration, which is about 30 days away. And Brian, you've asked the question before: When are we going to start seeing options markets implying volatility or expressing some concern? It's interesting because in the case of Intel, we have seen three out of the last six quarters some downside moves that would actually see a trade like this one be profitable. The problem is that buying options when the market is really not very volatile gets expensive over time. But in some places, we are seeing some people betting against the rally as they are in Intel right now.
0: All right. Good stuff, Mike. Thank you very much, Mike Coe. And we'll see more of Mike and the whole options action gang every Friday, of course, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up. Deutsche Bank says it's time for you to pick up the phone. We're going to reveal today's mystery chart in our call today. Plus out our Kramer cam. Jim is talking today's big oil slide with RBN Energy's Rusty Brazil. As always, CNBC Live with the NASDAQ and Times Square. More Fast Money still ahead. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It is time now for your call of the day. We gave you a couple of hints. Call, pick up the phone, ring in the bell. The answer, Tim Seymour got it. AT&T, Deutsche Bank says you got to buy the stock, noting it as unique scale across the media and communications businesses. Investors buying into that call a bit today. Tim, you have been long the stock. Wow! Yeah. what is your? You're yeah. all getting that. I'm getting that too. It's, uh, it's,
2: uh, yeah. Either the
0: aliens have taken over the planet, or all of our IFBs just went out together. So we're yeah. free-forming it here. <laughs> no, What's no your problem. take on AT and
2: T? Well, like AT and T is a company that's hard. There's nothing sexy that's been going on as much as sometimes people have tried to spin. Maybe even I have tried to spin the content and the sum of the parts. What Deutsche Bank is getting to is a couple things. First of all, they're saying, "Hey, look! If you follow management's uh, proposal on on terms of where they are on on capacity on their network, but more importantly, follow their numbers." The is half uh, on EPS of where management is guiding. It's usually the other way around, and that's kind of bizarre. Uh, what they're saying is, the couple things related to their core business. First of all, there is capacity on their network. There is major cost savings that they're actually passing on to consumers, but also on to investors. And that the dividend yield is very interesting and very safe. We never buy a stock for that. At least a lot of us on the show don't like to buy stock for dividend. But if you think about a company who has had debt issues, um, their net, essentially their net debt is around 2.6 times. Uh, they aim to get it down to 2.2. And that means that I think the company is in a very different place than they were.
1: Balance sheet's improving. It's not where it should be. It's improving. $44 price target reports on the 29th, and this stock has been trending that way. So I think you continue to own it in earnings.
0: Okay, Deutsche Bank says buy at and That's it for this segment. All right, we've got your favorite segment probably coming up, which is final trades. Ooh. Get them down, Ooh. put mm. them right down, down. Mm. write them down, and we're back on Fast Money right after this. All right, time for your final trade. Let's go around the horn. Hi, Tim Seymour. Yeah, so
2: at again, the, the Deutsche Bank call is really one that nothing changes in their business, but it's a more efficient business model, one where actually the free cash flow pays you something back. AT&T. All right, Karen?
4: Yes, so last week Target uh, reported disappointing earnings, and we said let's just see it shake out a little bit, see where it wants to come in. I think now is the time to start buying. I like it here. It's attractive. I think that was a one-quarter misstep. So Step back into
0: Target. I am
4: indeed. Oh, Karen, well, I never left it. it took my What? Double you know.
0: doubling down. Yes. Deep. Shake Shack.
3: I, I've been long from lower. I still think it has about 50% upside in the name. It got a price target downgrade today or lowering of a price target and the stock closed green. Shake Shack. Dr. Oz would doctor right I, huh?
1: yeah. I was just going to say, uh, you buy the 20 stock. years. I mean, is that like the coolest guest you've ever seen? He's yeah. amazing. Guy nice down shot. Final traders. Amazing. You're buying. You're a buyer of Oz. I'm Long Oz (laughs) and Long Blackstone. That sucker's rocket ship. All right, guys. Everybody, thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow night. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.